financials, banks, you know, are a really good complement to kind of our defensive growth core of U.S. quality. So pretty constructive on having a satellite position in banks, both in Canada and the U.S. right now. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. As Canadian banks release their third quarter earnings, a cautious but positive sentiment is settling in across capital markets. With U.S. elections looming, can investors continue to pursue a defensive growth strategy? Can banks and gold, both bullion and equities, offer the means to support a U.S. quality play? In this episode, you'll hear Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Chris McKinney discuss a range of different scenarios and strategies to protect capital and seek positive returns by taking a long-term view. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETS podcast on your preferred podcast player and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Hello, I'm your host, Mark Grays. I'm the head of product for BMO Game Canada, covering ETFs and mutual funds. We're joined today by Chris McKaney and Chris Heeks, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk, focusing on equity solutions uh, and derivative solutions, but of course, as well, having insights across the entire product show. So thanks, Chris and Chris, for joining us today. Thank you, Mark. Let's dive right into things. Uh, and for today, we'll, we'll start a little closer to home uh, with a look at the Canadian banks. Of course, we offer ZEB as an equal weight basket of the big six banks, or, or as well, we have the cover, covered call ZWB. We saw BMO come out with uh, very encouraging earnings uh, and have certainly seen a lift of late uh, in the industry pricing. We talked about banks a few times, but where do you stand now after watching this price appreciation? And, you know, once you've spoken about banks, maybe also, can you relate it to ZCN, which represents the Canadian market following the, the TSX composite, which, you know, really unlike the U.S., granted that's been a bit more concentrated, Canada is yet to recover to its uh, pre-COVID highs. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Mark. Maybe we can uh, do a quick summary of where we're at with the bank earnings first. Uh, we've had four of the six big banks report now. BMO, as you mentioned, reported yesterday, and it's been a while. Um, you know, Speaking as BMO employee, it has been quite a while since we've had an earnings number this good. Um, stock traded up about 5.5% yesterday. Strong beat on the top line and the bottom line. And I think importantly, too, the PCL, or the provisions for uh, bad loans, lower than expected. So strong earnings there. Scotia was very mixed. Uh, stock traded down a bit, a bit disappointing. You know, they really saw suffering in their international businesses. And we know Scotia's got a lot of exposure even beyond uh, North America and really, um, you know, had some, had some pain there. They looked to be the exception. Royal this morning seems to be following BMO's lead. Again, a top and a bottom line beat combined with those PCLs lower than expected. It's indicated up um two to three percent right now as, as we're in the pre-market uh national bank as well had solid earnings uh beat estimates indicating slightly up so 
Um, you know, overall, the trends, you're seeing a lot of uh, strong capital markets and trading results, as well as investment banking results. So they're the banks uh, kind of bullying the, the weaker retail segments where they're more impacted by the lower interest rates. I think the big takeaway is, you know, the PCL coming in lower than expected is going to be received very well from the market. And, you know, banks uh, being a bellwether of the Canadian economy, I think it's a very encouraging sign overall. You know, where we're at with banks still, you know, as of yesterday's close, they're going to be up slightly today. But, you know, yesterday's close, there's still a 5% average yield on the underlying banks. And, you know, as we've been talking about on the call, that's just still a really attractive level. So I think, you know, we're seeing it's, um, you know, this reopening trade constructed for the banks. You know, we still really like it here. You know, we recall 2009, you know, financials and banks were the first to really recover. And it, it looks like it's, it, it's playing out. So we're still um, very much advocates of the, of the Canadian bank exposure. You know, in terms of the the, um, the overall broad index, you know, as you mentioned, the S&P, you know, it's a V-shaped recovery in certain segments of the market, you know, most namely IT. Um, it's not really a V-shaped recovery across the whole breadth of the market. There's a lot of sectors still underperforming. So, you know, if you took more of a, you know, an equal weighted approach, to the S&P, I bet you'd find it looks a lot more like the Canadian market. You know, Canadian market also has, you know, energy. Obviously, energy has been, you know, we've had a woes in that market this year. Um, financials still have a lot of room to uh, recover as well. Financials have been, you know, as well, a, a drag on the index this year. You know, in terms of, you know, a couple offsets have been gold equities and Shopify. Um, but, you know, overall with the, with the you know, the reopening becoming increasingly constructive, you know, understanding is still a bumpy path, but, you know, the outlook on, on Canada is good. And I think the outlook on, you know, the S&P, even X tech is, is, is also good. So um, very encouraging numbers. And, um, you know, we're seeing the sentiments becoming increasingly positive and it. It's been a good, um, good thing to see for, for investors. Thanks, Chris. And as a follow-up to this Canadian bank conversation, do you also view this as a positive sign for U.S. banks, which, of course, have been held back in the, in the American recovery by their loan loss provisions? Or are the risk profiles of the U.S. banks that different that the narrative doesn't apply? Well, what's your current views on ZBK, our U.S. banks ETF? Thanks. Yeah, I think the, uh, the risk profile is a little bit different, but I, I, I think the narrative still applies. Um, you know, U.S., they're, they're, they're riskier lenders. They're, they're more sensitive to interest rate changes. Um, but I think the same narrative still does apply. And we really, you know, we saw them take much larger PCLs than expected, you know, provisions for bad losses. Um, but at the same time, we're also hearing a lot of constructive um, comments uh, around the, you know, the U.S. market is, is on a recovery path, although it may be bumpy. You know, I think you look at Canadian versus U.S. banks, it's interesting, you know, you know, number one, you know, Canadian banks, probably on average have about 30% exposure to the U.S. So we are, you know, essentially part U.S. bank, even in ourselves. And perhaps that's the reason we've seen, you know, correlation steadily increasing between the two. If you go back to 2008, you know, the correlation between Canadian and U.S. banks was kind of 0.6. You know, now kind of we're in that 0.8 to 0.9 range. And we really see them trade you know, I think off the same fundamentals, which is, you know, overall, you know, economic sentiment and health. Um, so, you know, we have seen that sentiment, as we discussed, has been it's been improving. It's been wind in the U.S. bank sales, been wind as NBK and ZUB 
as well as the WK or covered call. Um, they're up about 4% the last couple of days. You know, the U.S. banks, they don't hit earnings till mid-October, so it's going to be a little while um, until we, we see them in the confessional and, and get a little more insight into, you know, the fundamental strength of their loan books, um, amongst other, you know, metrics that will look to them. Um, you know, capital markets was a driver for them, much as it was a driver for, for Canadian banks to the upside. So we'll see in mid-October, you know, there's going to be a lot of noise in the market come that time. You know, I don't think... You know, U.S. banks are certainly not without volatility. You know, they're much more volatile than Canadian banks. But I think it's still an I think it's still a very interesting trade, and there's a lot of value there. You know, the the 3.8 percent dividend yield is very attractive, and so you know, while we we certainly acknowledge the bumps in the road, um, we think it's a very good you know kind of mid to longer term value play. You know, as we navigate this recovery, and you know, we think you know financials banks you know, a really good complement to kind of our defensive growth core of U.S. quality. So pretty constructive on having a satellite position in banks, both in Canada and the U.S. right now. Thanks for that, Chris. Let's switch it up uh, and talk a little bit more about our, our main theme, defensive growth, uh, where we've had the Democratic National Convention. Now, of course, we're in the middle of the Republican. Uh, we've got the presidential election coming this November. So now I, you know, you're going to expect to see a whole lot of campaign promises piling on top of the ongoing stimulus activity, and that makes it sound like it's it's good for a continued run in U.S. equities. But depending on the election result, is is some caution warranted? So how would you approach uh, U.S. portfolio positioning coming into the election? Does our theme of defensive growth still continue to apply? If you look at polls right now, which obviously could change between now and November, you know, there's a, there's a possibility of what they call the Democratic sweep, where the Democrats would con, would, would be the, the president, um, would have the majority in the House of Congress as well as the Senate. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people think that lines up well for, for Democrats to, to essentially do whatever they want. Um, however, you know, just thinking back even just four years ago, this is what had and um, you know there's still a great amount of difficulty in getting things pushed through and, and you know the Republicans were eventually successful with their tax cut uh, the corporate tax cut but you know trying things like healthcare reform and things like that um, certainly still very hard to do even when um, one party has um, all the majorities in, in each of the uh, in each of the houses so um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rely on these campaign promises all becoming reality. Is sort of the bottom line there. Um, and then even even as things do get applied or, or get passed through, some of these things take potentially years to to have an effect. So, for example, um, you know Joe Biden is promising a lot of uh, investment in R and D and clean energy, um, building jobs and clean energy and things like that. And, over the long term, that, that may take hold and that may be a very positive thing for the overall U.S. economy. Um, but again, this can take years to A, get, get passed through, get implemented, have some of those dollars starting to, to flow, and then seeing the results of, of, of that. So um, even, in the, even in the most rosy case scenario, a lot of these things will, will take years um, to have any effect. And so you know, we, we do think the defensive growth theme still makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, in the U.S. particularly, we've 
uh, talked a lot about quality is that UQ having uh, exposure to quality companies that can withstand um, the ups and downs of a, of a market recovery um, for investors that are a little bit more concerned about downside risk, you know, look, looking at that low vol approach, ZLU, um, to have a, a more of a focus on downside protection um, while still participating somewhat in the upside. Um, and again, just taking a lot of these things you hear with a grain of salt, whether that's from the Democratic side or the Republican side, um, you know, certainly there are things like uh, you know, raising taxes as well as another part of the Democratic campaign. And so you, you could potentially see a bit of a hit, maybe a one-time hit to, uh, to valuations of U.S. companies if their tax rates go up. Um, and so, again, a lot of these different things percolating, but nothing um, is really confirmed until it happens, of course. And uh, because there's certainly two very different ways um, the leadership can go depending on who wins the election. And then, of course, again, the House, who controls the House of Congress and the Senate as well. Um, there, there's a variety of different outcomes that can happen. And so we think, you know, the best thing to do is have that long, focus on the long term, particularly those long term investors. Focus on the long term, um, you know, invest in those quality companies. We think this theme still makes a lot of sense. Um, there's potential for significant volatility in the short term around that election, uh, again, depending on what the outcomes are. Um, but we think staying the course, maintaining that defensive growth element so that you do have um, a one foot in the market, you are participating in market growth as it happens uh, without taking on too much undue risk in any one area that, um, you know, you may be pinning your hopes on one specific a piece of a platform getting passed that ultimately might not get passed. Um, and so maintaining that diversification as well, we think makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Chris. And certainly the big one out of that is, you know, will there be an impact to corporate tax rates if the Democrats were to, were to get in? And, you know, when you look back to 2016, it, it does look eerily familiar in that, you know, Trump was trailing by a, by a similar amount at this point of the election uh, cycle and still got the results that we did. So I think defensive growth uh, certainly continues to apply at this time. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. We also encourage you to tune in to our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Our latest episode takes a sweeping look at alternatives focusing on gold, infrastructure, and REITs, to help investors complete their portfolios with investments that are lowly correlated to equities and fixed income. Check it out, episode number 29 in this same podcast series. Let's switch over now to, to gold. Uh, we've seen it slide a bit off its highs. Um, can you give us an update now on your outlook, both for bullion and for ZGD, which represents uh, you know, our gold miners ETF, knowing that a lot of advisors have, have put these uh, positions into their portfolios over the course of this year. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And, you know, I think it's, um, you know, very, very interesting points on the election uh, McKinney made there and, and certainly cause for concern. I think, you know, I think investors when it comes to gold are, you know, kind of looking at this as a good backdrop for gold either way. So, you know, as you mentioned, you know, certainly the you know, it's getting a little parabolic a couple of weeks ago. We've had some price consolidation the past couple of weeks. You know, I think what's interesting is even in that consolidation, we're still seeing inflows 
uh, into gold-based ETFs, both both equities and bullion. So investors are still uh, very interested in the space. I think, you know, regardless of, um, you know, the political environment in the U.S., you know, I think there's still a lot of stimulus that's required to get through um, this, uh, you know, COVID kind of market uh, shutdown and reopening. And, you know, I think both parties are really committed to that. So, you know, you look at this kind of backdrop of, of stimulus and, and money printing and potential inflation, and I think it all folds, uh, folds well for gold. You know, I think, um, you know, one, one interesting kind of anecdote, Warren Buffett, we saw, uh, you know, he, he made an announcement about recent uh, changes at Berkshire, and he bought a $500 million stake into Barrick. And I think that's quite telling because, you know, Warren Buffett, he really has never touched the gold sector and, and in fact, has, has kind of wrote in the past you know, going back, you know, a few years about how, you know, basically he didn't understand it. It wasn't for him. He didn't really believe in it. Well, he's he's a believer now, and I believe his quotes were, you know, this is the perfect backdrop for gold. And, you know, I, I, I find it hard to disagree with the amount of uh, stimulus and, and, you know, printing money that's going to be required from kind of central banks globally. Um, you know, in terms of uh, ZGD versus the bullion, you know, again, the equities tend to give you a, a leverage to that gold price. You know, the gold miners tend to have, you know, a high degree of fixed costs to operate their mines. And, and as, you know, as a result of those fixed costs, they're very sensitive to the price of gold, uh, much more so than if you just invest in gold. And what that means is, you know, as we get these increases in, uh, in the gold price, you know, we get in some cases substantial increases, substantial increase of prices in ZGD. You know, if you look at uh, year to date, ZGD is up 38%. Uh, gold's up about 27. So there's a nice pick up there. You know, if you had bought gold at the market lows, kind of March 23rd, ZGD's up 80%. Uh, gold bullion's up 14. So there can be a pretty staggering effect uh, due to that leverage. Um, so 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 again, you know, I think um, you know, you look at gold equities. I think it's you know, I think the backdrop for the gold price is very good. I think the backdrop for equities is still good with, you know, the amount of stimulus that's hitting the system. So, you know, you look at ZGD, it's a combination of equities as well as, as gold exposure. You know, it's kind of working from both angles there. So, you know, pretty constructive on ZGD, um, you know, have that as a satellite position. And, you know, I think, you know, the outlook for gold is still pretty good. And, you know, a lot of, you know, I think the consensus, you know, estimates are still we're going higher from here. You know, there's there's some estimates in the, kind of $2,200, $2,300 an ounce. There's some 25s and there's some 3,000s, and I think there's even a couple above that. So consensus uh, still pretty good for gold. I think the fundamentals are there, and I think you know gold miners can give you some some leverage and some kick uh, to that to that gold exposure. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And just one more question from me. Um, we just last week brought out U.S. dollar versions of our popular ETF portfolios uh, as mutual funds, and that's on the back of you know advisor and investor demand for more U.S. dollar solutions. These funds are built using underlying ETFs that trade in U.S. dollars, and a number of questions I've been getting in over the past week since launching them is, you know, do these ETFs just hold? Uh, U.S. ETFs, so you know the iShares, the Vanguards, etc., out, out of the U.S. But in fact, of course, we have our own U.S. dollar listings here on the TSX that maybe some advisors haven't uh, spent much time on. So, can you comment on how these uh, .U ETFs 
work and trade. Uh, and as well, for advisors looking for U.S. dollar uh, ETF holdings, what are the tax benefits that come into play to using Canadian ETFs, which makes them valuable for Canadian investors? Thanks. Sure, Mark. And yeah, there's a, there's a couple of layers there. So maybe I'll just start with, um, um, you know, a base case scenario where, you know, a Canadian investor has U.S. dollars in their account and wants to invest that in an ETF or wants to put that to work in the market. You know, there's a couple of different options that they have there. So first of all, again, let's say they have a few U.S. dollars in their account and they want to put that into an equity ETF. A couple of choices they have would be to buy something listed in the U.S. and let's just call it SPY. They want S&P 500 exposure. They're going to buy SPY. They have U.S. dollars. That trades in U.S. dollars. Um, the other option a Canadian investor actually has and, and might be interested in is buying the U.S. dollar version of ZSP. And we call this the .U version. ZSP.U is the ticker, and it has that extension on there. It's the same ticker as, as the primary fund, but it has that extension on there to indicate that it actually trades and settles in U.S. dollars. And so it trades in Canada, in Toronto on the exchange, uh, but it's completely a U.S. dollar um, ETF. And so the price you see when you go to buy it is listed in U.S. dollars. And when you settle the trade, uh, you pay for it in U.S. dollars as well. And as you mentioned, you know, here at BMO, we do have a suite of these ETFs that trade in U.S. dollars. Most of our U.S. dollar uh, our, our U.S. equity and fixed income ETFs have some some version of this, and um, so what are the benefits of that? Why would why would you stick to a Canadian listing that trades in U.S. dollars? As you mentioned, there are a couple of different tax considerations for that. Uh, first of all, if you have U.S. property, when it comes to doing your tax returns, um, there's T1135 reporting, so that's additional forms that you have to fill out to indicate the the amount of U.S. property that you have. And so when you invest in a Canadian listed ETF in U.S. dollars, that is considered Canadian property. That is not foreign property. That is not U.S. property. And so that um, sort of tax filing uh, headache goes away. Um, also, at the same time, um, for, for investors that may have a, a larger level of assets, um, they may be concerned with U.S. estate taxes. And this, again, comes into play when you have a considerable amount of U.S. property. Um, there may be estate tax considerations that you might have to look at or, or pay for. So keeping all of your investments in Canadian property will alleviate all of these concerns. And so we've actually found a lot of investors that do have those U.S. dollars and want that U.S. dollar exposure um, to, to buy and sell in uh, would still like to maintain that Canadian property. They don't necessarily want to go into holding a significant amount of U.S. what's was classified as U.S. property um, for these different tax considerations that we're looking at. And so, you know, as you mentioned, we've now come out with a, uh, a wrap solution where we have a fund of funds, these ETF portfolios that we've um, offered and managed for several years in Canada, investing in our primary ETFs, um, now have this version where they will invest fully in the U.S. dollar version of these ETFs. And it, uh, similar to these ETFs, will just be bought and sold uh, completely in U.S. dollars. And again, you know, as you mentioned, we've seen a lot of demand from investors and advisors that have these U.S. dollars. They want to put that to work. 
but they don't necessarily want these different tax reporting headaches that come with owning U.S. property, um, you can now do that um, and have that full U.S. exposure without having to worry about currency conversion costs and things like that. You can maintain that U.S. dollar exposure and fully invest in Canadian listed vehicles and in Canadian, what's classified as Canadian property. Thanks for that, Chris. Yeah, I think the important thing with these .us is to realize they are Canadian domiciled vehicles, so you don't have to deal with you know U.S. estate tax or T1135 reporting. Uh, and you know when I look at our lineup, uh, we've actually really grown this out over the years, uh, looking at you know around 15 tickers uh, available in U.S. dollar uh, traded ETF. So a great tool for advisors. Uh, that are looking to put U.S. dollars to work and don't want to be flipping um, currencies around. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for for listening. Uh, you know, I think we heard some great updates, Canadian banks, U.S. markets, uh, you know, what's coming up and what to watch for. Uh, so a lot of great conversation points to bring back uh, to our own day and, and as well with the U.S. dollar ETFs, different ways to, to think about putting money to work. So thank you to Chris McKaney and to Chris Heeks uh, for your insights and for your comments today. And with that, I'd just like to thank everyone one last time for joining the call and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you to Mark Race, Chris McKaney, and Chris Heeks for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard valuable updates on Canadian financials and the expected impact of U.S. elections on our concentrated equity strategy. We also heard about ZGD and why it makes sense to hold this strong mix of gold miners during a period of heightened volatility. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, please see the episode notes below, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or simply visit BMOETFs.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. 